Few would claim that a pandemic is the ideal time to take over running a country, but that's exactly what Estonia's Prime Minister Kaja Kallas did in January this year. Following the resignation of the country's previous Prime Minister, Juri Ratas, amid allegations of corruption within his party, Kallas's centre-right reform party struck a deal with the centre party to form a new government. It was a historic moment. When President Kersti Kaljulai nominated Kallas as the new Prime Minister, Estonia became the only nation in the world to have a woman as both its elected head of state and its head of government. Estonia is a world leader in digital culture and governance. Even before the pandemic struck, Estonians paid their taxes and parking fines, did their banking, voted and accessed their medical records online. So the transition to working from home and homeschooling during the pandemic was easier than it was in most other nations. But what are the limitations of living in a digitized society? This is a question that I put to Kalas in our conversation today. The economy, Estonians' mental health and maintaining civil freedoms all remain big concerns for Kalas, as does the influx of migrants in neighbouring Baltic countries as tensions between the EU and Belarus escalate. Despite having so much on her plate, Kaya Kalas took the time to speak to me in her office in Tallinn about these challenges and the future of Estonia and its national identity. In the interest of full disclosure, I should say that I'm half Estonian. This is The Chiefs on Monocle 24, and I'm Tyler Brule. Tere Tere, Prime Minister, thank you very much for taking the time to have a discussion. High summer as we approach autumn in a year that has been very hard to define. And I'm going to ask you a bit of a tricky question, but maybe a report card. As we've sort of come out of a school year, we go back into a new school year right now. Where would you grade Estonia at the moment? Well, it's um, very hard to say because the old Estonians would say it's bad faith when you grade it in the, in the middle of the crisis still, so it's not over. I was at the conference where people were asked, that, how many of you think that the worst is over? Well, it was about half and half who thought that, you know, the worst is not over yet. And so, so I'm not even sure where am I. I, I hope that the worst is over. But I'm not sure. But let's see. Uh, we are not out of this until all of us are out of this. Estonia's taken a very interesting stance. Some would say pragmatic. And this country is known for a high degree of pragmatism, quite liberal as well, that you've balanced the economy, maybe more put the economy maybe in the forefront more than other countries have. How much of this was a, a unified decision or one very much of, of your party's view? And I ask this, and I pose this in a positive way because I would say also we as a media brand have tried to take a very pragmatic view towards this um, as well. So how much has the, the party's view sort of guided the thinking? Uh, well, I think uh, it's the Estonian position in a bigger picture. I think it goes the way we see the world. And we come from the Soviet Union times where we had a lot of rules and, and you know, the state was telling you how to eat, sleep and run your errands. So uh, when we are in this crisis, uh, then um, we have had this view that people tend to be passionate about, uh, compassionate about these um, people uh, or victims that they see. But there are a lot of victims that you don't see in this crisis as well. People losing their jobs because, you know, enterprises close down, uh, people losing their mental health because of the restrictions and all these things. And so in order to make balanced decision, we have to take those 
victims, invisible victims also into account. And that's why we have tried to keep the society as open as it is uh, possible uh, in order to protect those visible victims that go to the hospital, but also to not uh, hurt the victims that we, we don't see or not to have so many invisible victims along the way. We may or may not be in the middle of this, but lessons learned already, if you look at sectors of society, as you said, many people that are invisible, they don't show up as really part of the texture of social fabric in a way. And if I think about Estonia, what is modern Estonia known for? Of course, it's known as an incredibly advanced digital society and people know about e-voting and people know about e-everything in Estonia. One thing that we've seen across the world, maybe across the EU though, is this race to digital has left a lot of people behind. Not everybody has an app, not everybody has a smartphone, not everyone can use a smartphone. And I'm wondering, in a country which is so advanced uh, and has positioned themselves in such a way, what maybe what's been learned uh, has, or, ha- or has anything been learned when you think about sectors of society? Yes, that's a very good question. First of all, I think we were prepared for these kind of crises in terms of, uh, uh, you know, homeschooling, homeworking, better than maybe other countries. Because, yes, we have the e-government, we have the e-services, we are used to communicating via digital means. And we also had the digital school already in place. So it wasn't that hard to go and uh, use this for this uh, this crisis. But what we have learned is that it doesn't suit any, uh, everybody. Digital schooling, for some, uh, you know, it's, it's a good, good way to do things. And for, for some pupils, uh, they are left behind and we can't really allow that. The other thing, what we also are learning regarding vaccination, I mean, we were of the opinion as over 97% of Estonians file their taxes online and communicate with the state via uh, digital means. So we put a lot of stress uh, to the you know, digital means of registration for vaccinations. But it turns out that, you know, regarding health issues, especially older people, they want to communicate, they want to talk to people, the doctors that they know. So the take-up of the digital registration here has not been as big as we would have thought. Maybe it's the summer, of course, that people are not away from their computers and all. So we have um, created additional means, um, you know, that you can just go without registration. But we thought that, uh, you know, people would rather stay in the digital queue in the computer than queue on the street. But it turns out that people like queuing on the streets as well. And what does that mean for your ministries? If you look at, on my way here, I was walking past the German embassy, and I think about really the the situation that we had in Germany over the course of the summer with these incredible floods, and and everyone also realized, how can you look at one of the biggest economies in Europe and and have so many deaths when, of course, people knew the storms were coming? And a lot of people said, well, partly as well, because digitization doesn't always work. Not everybody in an Altesheim in an old age home has an app. And so there was this discussion about maybe we need to have a correction within Germany, within the EU, to all say, there are things that actually just work. There are things that are analog 
sirens on buildings because your phone might run out of batteries, as we know. So not just in terms of Estonia, but do you think that this is forcing or will somehow prompt a rethink about how we look at many things in terms of not just emergency response, but maybe we just swung a little bit too far, too fast in our move to, because it all looks wonderful and warm and sexy uh, when we talk about this portion of society and the economy as well? Well, I think it has two sides. So so one is that uh, this crisis has shown that, uh, you know, people can remotely work. And most of our work is done by our computer and our brains. So it doesn't matter where I do this job. I don't have to commute every day to this you know, office to do the work that I can do wherever I want to be in the countryside. What we have seen here is that people move to the countryside. As long as there is internet, they work from there, which is a very good regional development. On the other hand, what we have also seen is that uh, some things uh, need analog uh, ways of doing or, or analog uh, uh, means, really. Uh, so, so we can't, uh, one can't really substitute the other. So uh, in case uh, when you have floods, then it's good when the siren just uh, informs people that, you know, uh, this is dangerous and the danger is coming. So I think after this, there are many aspects of our lives that are not going back to where they were. And this, you know, far home working is definitely one of them. But what we also have seen is that people need other people. So even if, you know, you can work remotely, you still want to socialize. So it might be that you are working for your journal and I'm working for my company, but we are living in the same village and go to the office every day where, where we can socialize uh, as, as humans, but work for different companies. Uh, so, and we can do this from every, uh, any place in the world. I think Moises Naim wrote uh, some years ago uh, in the book End of Power about this digital transformation and, and saying that, you know, this is based on three M's. We have, uh, you know, more mobility mentality, so more people, more, you know, products choices. Uh, mobility means that, you know, everything moves to any place in the world quite uh, fast. And uh, mentality means that we also, you know, perceive things. We want to have the same services, uh, um, what we are used to in the place where we are at this exact moment because we are used to this and and this is has changed us so i think going through this it also changes us we don't see how our behavior change but but we do change even in using the technology or or working or or living as such Let's just pretend for a moment I work with a big Korean multinational. I'm interested in maybe investing in Estonia. I could go down the street to Poland. I might want to go somewhere sunnier in Europe like Portugal. What's the prime minister's elevator pitch for Estonia at the moment? When we think about both economic affairs, social affairs, when you're looking for inward investment, and also just to, to position and pitch the country right now? Well, uh, we are the most tech-savvy country in Europe, 
and uh, we have the most effective uh, tax system. So it is a very simple tax system with a few exemptions and, and this has invited a lot of investments to Estonia. And not to mention that uh, we have the digital governance which makes uh, establishing a company, uh, investing into the company, developing a company and your business uh, so much easier than anywhere in the world. I would then ask if we were having this elevator discussion. It's a small country and of course there is an enormous talent competition all over Europe. How do you present yourselves? When we see Estonians moving abroad, some are coming back of course as well, but how do you see this talent competition at the moment? The talent pool is, is looking looking good. <laughs> First of all, um, there are more people coming and moving to Estonia than moving away from Estonia, which always, I don't remember who, who said, this shows the quality of the country when more people <laughs> wanting to get in than to get out. This is positive. But uh, because we are a small country, then uh, we have... Our obligation is to learn languages and speak the languages. And what is also positive here is that we are quite flexible in terms of uh, approaching different uh, economic policies. But talents are attracted by this um, flexibility on one side, but also this kind of modern approach to governance and and to way of doing things. I think we are quite open in looking at the out-of-box solutions. We are quite open to implementing those solutions as well. Sometimes it is said that when you have a good idea, then, you know, Estonia is a small country where you can actually test your new, uh, new ideas because, you know, you can also try things and then, uh, you know, say that if they don't work, then we don't continue with them. So there is this... Um, courage to to try new things i think this is uh, also something that uh, not many countries have because uh, it is very much i'm coming from the private sector myself and and i see that uh, very often the argument is that you know we can't do this because we have always done the things the way we have done those things we are a young country in terms of uh, of regaining our independence so it's 30 years anniversary this year and therefore we try to build upon the strengths that our country has in order to be number one in in the world in digital governance for example. When you look at sectors in this country and, and where you can excel and of course we've seen a number of extraordinary success stories many in, in a digital space is it only about a, a tech and digital future for this country or is Estonia still a place that you'll make things beyond just copyright agreements and uh, beyond LOIs, but actually physically making manufacturing? Is this still an important part of the story or do you see this as something which is, yeah, it's, it's part of another Europe or it's part of something beyond these borders uh, when you think of the future of this country? As we don't have many people, so uh, this is uh, never our strength. So we have to focus on the on the quality or, or the things that we do. So if we want to be developed in the world, then services are definitely uh, something where we can grow. 
But um, when we talk about climate policies and then this kind of green transition, being small and flexible is also an advantage there because our companies can be the ones that uh, test uh, new solutions and can be the front runners for that uh, types of uh, those types of ideas as well. So I think not being stuck uh, only in the in the digital uh, part of the economy, but also finding new ways that uh, we can be uh, leaders uh, regarding the green transition. So we have our challenges when we talk about uh, our eastern part of Estonia, for example, uh, where we have uh, the oil shale mines and, and we, uh, we have to do the green transition there. But, but we can also be turn it into our advantage. So, so if we have to do this, the, the way we do this uh, can be a good example for, for some other countries as well. And it's not uh, easy, of course. Trying to bring the private companies on board uh, is uh, very important. It's difficult to bring many people on board today, as, as we know. And when you yes, but but don't you find it interesting that uh, it is difficult? At the same time, we see what is happening uh, with the huge uh, wildfires. We see uh, the floods. These are all the direct results of the warming of the climate. So it is a clear call of action, and sometimes there is this discussion that let others do it. But I think every single country and every single person plays a role in this bigger picture. Absolutely. But as you said, it takes time. I mean, you can't go and obviously literally extract yourselves from the shale story overnight. No. Uh, it's not It's not possible. And yet you also have, of course, activists who expect you to be out of this within an unrealistic time period yes. as well. Yeah. So, and this is also, it's not just when it comes to sustainability issues or environmental policy. But there are, are so many tracks where people expect that, whether it's corporations or it's governments, are able to turn on on a dime. And you can't fix it in this office, and nor can uh, whoever succeeds you, or we can go to any capital or any boardroom. But is there a way that we're, and is it, is it our role as the media, to somehow slow down the narrative or to maybe remind people or that there are alternative narratives, not alternative truths, but there are definitely different realities to hopefully get to the same goal. Mm -hmm. As I said, uh, I feel that everybody has a part to play <laughs> in this uh, bigger picture. For me, it is very important to listen to people's fears because, you know, fear is too strong emotion to just say that, you know, don't be afraid. And people are still afraid. So why are you afraid and what exactly are you are afraid of? And I bring you this example that um, I have meetings with the trade unions uh, of, of the miners. And, and when we have the meetings, then we can actually come to the same place. So we have the same worries. They are worried about uh, new jobs or, or the jobs that are going to replace uh, their current jobs. They don't want to be unemployed, but we also don't want them to be unemployed. So because that poses a socio-economical problem for us in the eastern part of, of Estonia, which is very, you know, uh, a big Russian minority there that might be also a, a security issue for us. So, so actually, we both have the same goal. They understand 
that we are part of uh, Europe, we are part of, you know, world where everybody is thinking about the environmental issues and, and phasing out the really unfriendly fossil fuels, for example. But we have to, you know, invite investments that will create the same kind of jobs that require people with skills that are currently employed in the in the mines they are very hard working people but, but they have very specific skills so you can't uh, train them to be IT specialists uh, so you need some kind of other industry there but but what is the industry uh, that uh, that could replace uh, this uh, miners industry uh, and, any thoughts yeah uh, well, there are. If you if you think about uh, all this um, big uh, production of batteries and and the uh, you know development of batteries, uh, that has been a big obstacle for the energy consumption so far because we don't really have you know. M- batteries that work so that we don't need the fuels all the time uh, the way that we have uh, been able or or used to con- consuming them so so these types of um, investments uh, definitely uh, are something that could replace and and we have to make uh, our efforts to invite those investments there i was um, doing a quick tour around uh, the city Yesterday evening, I was in Pärnu visiting some family houses and property and, and made my way back through Hapsalu. And, and one thing I noticed is that, is that there is still an extraordinary level of, of craft and not just, you know, in the world of knickknacks, but, uh, but really advanced crafts uh, as well. Is Estonia maybe a little bit too much focused on somehow, you know, I guess getting off the tractor and and moving off the land and moving away from crafts when actually you know you see yeah people yeah all over elsewhere in Europe who want to get back on the tractor again because they have the luxury of getting back on a tractor because they've made lots of money and i'm wondering if there's if there's a bit of a of a gap or a lag in Estonia at at the moment and a recognition that you've got these extraordinary skills i mean i thought i could probably go and fill i don't know how many 747s maybe not the most economical way to get the linen to Japan, but it's mm. extraordinary when you look at the craft here and having made in Estonia on something. And is that being forgotten or do you recognize that as also something as part of the national brand? Yes, uh, that is definitely part of the national brand. And and on top of that, I, I also feel that uh, here people are moving back to the tractors, but this kind of sustainable farming and what is our really um, something that maybe others don't have is that um, our forest and our agricultural land is very much without um, the the poison the poison no yeah, the pollutants the or, pollutants yeah. yes no uh, especially the forest where you can pick berries and you can pick uh, uh, mushrooms and and every every Estonian knows how to do that and which kind of mushrooms you can eat and which kind of mushrooms you can't eat. This is something uh, that others don't really have, uh, and more and more people are realizing that this is something unique. So if if all the world is moving to not using pesticides, not using uh, all kinds of uh, fertilizers, then we have the regions here, and as you say. Uh, 
uh, linen is something that has been uh, historically also something that we have uh, produced here and and again if you look at the world how how people are uh, tired of this mass production so this is again something for 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 Estonia because you know we can't have a mass production of anything because we don't have a lot of people and and uh, land and and resources but uh, um, if you think of a niche products then this is something there where we can uh, be really excellent in uh, you know very niche products that maybe in Estonia only two people would consume but in the world there are millions that um, you know require these kind of products so so definitely a way to go there worry not I got lots of ideas for boosting exports uh, <laughs> good <laughs> mo- mostly mostly in the space that we're talking about just before we go we have to talk about uh, the broad the broader neighborhood we're having a discussion at a time when we're seeing some very aggressive moves made against your Baltic neighbors, of course, uh, in the form of, what could we call it, forced migration flows, and a real complexity, and perhaps a sense as well, maybe on the part of some governments, that maybe also your other EU neighbors are not taking this seriously enough or were caught on the back foot. What type of leadership position, how do you see Estonia playing a role in uh, in this what we see in Lithuania happening right now I think it's uh, very severe we consider this a hybrid uh, crisis so it's not the migration crisis because uh, Lukashenko has definitely clearly said it that they use migrants as a tool against Lithuania in order to destabilize the country uh, which is very worrying I mean this is uh, something of uh, of a new type of of uh, conflict that we haven't had uh, before. Uh, you, tra- you call it a hybrid crisis. I mean, it's a hybrid type of, let's not call it quite warfare, but it's a hybrid type of conflict. Yes, sure. hybrid type of conflict because it's it's not the migration crisis no. because uh, it's clearly orchestrated and it's clearly orchestrated in order to destabilize a, a small country. So I think this should be seen as such. And, and I agree with you that not all our Western allies see it, you know, as such. And why they don't see it maybe is that, you know, the numbers are still quite low. But you have to understand that these are very small countries. You can't compare a country of 82 million with a country of, of 2 million. So uh, for a country of, of uh, 3 million as Lithuanians are, you know, already 5,000 uh, migrants is an issue that have, uh, you know, wider complications for the society. So, so as we are in this together with Europe, we have to take everybody's worries into account and and I also have um, consultations uh, discussions with the other European leaders about this uh, uh, in order to bring this uh, on the table uh, more and more that uh, we have to fight this together and as we get to the approach the end of uh, 2021 three areas of focus for you in your office as you look across to 2022 what do you want to get done uh, make sure that you've ticked these off of course, by the time uh, that you, you, you head off, uh, hopefully for a holiday by the end of this year. 
Yeah, no holiday for me. Not in the uh, near, near future. Of course, the COVID crisis is still ongoing, but that's not political. That's uh, the crisis that you have to deal with. But in terms of uh, political goals, then one is definitely the green transition. As you say, it's not doable in one or two years, but the, there are some steps that have to be made, some decisions that have to be taken in order to you know, get it rolling. Then the other big issue that is, Uh, for us here, maybe for you, you don't even understand this issue of uh, Estonian education, Estonian language education. Uh, in the world, there are like million people that speak the language and we have a very big Russian minority. So we have currently schools in both languages. But what we see is that people who don't speak Estonian in Estonia get worse education and then they get they don't get as good jobs as as those who speak Estonian. So it's a it's a wider issue, but it's also an issue for preserving our culture and, and language. So so very, very small in terms of, you know, world politics, but for us a matter of uh, survival. Prime Minister, thank you very much. Thank you. My thanks to Prime Minister Kaya Kalas for joining us for this week's episode of The Chiefs. You can read more about our meeting in the new issue of Monocle, which is on newsstands now. Next time, I'll be in conversation with the CEO of Mercedes-Benz, Ola Shalanius. So do join us then. This episode of The Chiefs was produced by Marcus Hippie and Holly Fisher, recorded by David Stevens and edited by Steph Chungu. The series producer is Paige Reynolds. I'm Tyler Brulé. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>